This Road Dirt presentation is brought to you by Law Tigers, motorcycle lawyers. Find them at lawtigers.com. Welcome to Road Dirt, the podcast of Road Dirt Motorcycle Media and RoadDirt.tv, your down-home grassroots motorcycle brand, covering what we like to call ride life. I'm Rob Brooks, your host. Thanks for tuning in and got a question to pose to you. How is it that mishaps so often make the most memorable adventures? Have you ever thought about that? Think about the road trips, the excursions, the trips you've been on, the things that have gone wrong often are the things that make the fondest memories. Well, maybe not always the fondest memories. Sometimes they make for the funniest memories. And we tend to remember those things. And um, the good time, when, they, when everything on a trip goes according to plan, it's great, but the things that happen that are crazy tend to be the things we talk about in the months and years later. Well, uh, one by Ted, Edwards, our uh, writer up in the Pacific Northwest, recently wrote a story called Libby Accidentally, and you'll see why it's called that shortly, about how mishaps really do make for the most memorable and really, in some ways, comical adventures. This is called Libby Accidentally. It was an abominable trip. It didn't start well, it didn't end well, and the middle was a cruel lesson on how life can instantly go from great to wrong. Our goals readjusted hourly from, let's have a great trip, and where are we going now, to, I think we just might be spending the night here. Our plan was grand. My cousin and riding buddy Dave, white girl Wensveen, and I would tour Yellowstone, Beartooth Pass, and Glacier National Park in one giant sweep, gathering them all like kids plucking pastel eggs from the green grass on Easter morning. We crammed white girls' Dodge diesel pickup camper full of provisions, stowed our twin Honda VFR 800s in the trailer, and pointed the Dodge's hood east. Things went wrong as soon as we left the driveway. My phone pinged, showing a picture of my wife holding a chocolate lab puppy. The day before, I had taken her to see a litter of pups because it was her birthday, and, well, she loves little brown snuggly things. Now she was holding one. My house was in the background. She was in the front yard. A timestamp displayed 9.35 a.m. I had left the house at 9 a.m. Looks like you have a new dog, white girl laughed. No, I thought, no way. The puppy was, I don't know, just visiting, just coming by to say hi, a rental of sorts. She must have arranged a play date for our current chocolate lab. Then the puppy would go home. Yeah, that was it. The puppy was definitely not staying. We didn't need a second chocolate lab white girl just laughed at me. It's your fault, dude, he said between belly laughs. You took her to see a litter of chocolate lab puppies on her birthday. Did you really expect her to come home empty-handed? Well, actually, yes, I did. States of grief followed. Washington, Idaho, Montana, all rolling past the Dodge's expansive windshield like a colorful documentary about the rugged West as I remained in my state of denial. Had she really brought home a puppy only 35 minutes after I left home? Somewhere east of Bozeman, I finally reached acceptance. Cody, Wyoming was our goal that day, but my heavy thoughts burdened the truck's thirsty diesel, forcing us to sleep roadside. We decided to make for Cody in the morning. We never made Cody. 
Camping at a roadside rest area in eastern Montana is really no way to sleep. Trucks pulled in and out constantly. Some stayed for a few minutes while others spent the night next to us, generators purring like giant snoring cats as trucks and drivers slept. Lengthy road trains of linked trailers plowed forward into the bottomless black of the Montana night, belching their jake brakes as they descended the hill past us, ripping us out of our not-so-fitful sleep. Sunrise pushed the darkness of night into retreat as Dave rolled out of bed and inserted the key into a dead truck. The Dodge's starter had died. Dave panicked. We are in the middle of nowhere Montana, and how in the hell were we going to get out of here? Like the rising sun, I became a bright beam of optimism. We're in open country, I said, with no concrete plans, two motorcycles fully fueled, and a pickup camper full of enough fritos, chili, beer, and gin to cater a roadside wedding. This, I informed white girl, was no emergency. It was a gift, an invitation to relax, enjoy a leisurely breakfast, soak in the sunrise, and enjoy life. White girl was not convinced. He was busy punching numbers into his cell phone, talking excitedly to people on the other end, his hands waving frantically in the air to emphasize his points. He and I have very different ways of handling a crisis. A rescue mechanic soon arrived, almost welding himself to the engine block as he bridged the non-functional ground on the starter. The truck fired, and we backtracked westwards, tails between our legs to get the most expensive starter in the galaxy replaced. Now what? Beartooth Pass and Yellowstone were out of reach, so we debated options as White Girl drove west because, well, that's the direction we turned after we left the repair shop's driveway. White Girl's spirits rose when I said the magic words, Lolo Pass. He had never been. I found the only campground near Lolo, Montana, not shut down by the pandemic, and Dave's heavy right foot got us there by late afternoon. Needing a morale boost, after two full days of driving, we instantly unloaded the VFRs, skipped dinner entirely, and took off. After three states of new puppy denial, two days of driving in one dead truck, we were finally on the bikes. Lolo Pass follows the Lockshire River as it meanders lazily through the Bitterroot Range, snuggling up to the Burbling River and her evergreen-lined hills, dictating the course of the road and the diameter of her curves. Most are medium-radius third-gear turns, but once or twice every mile, there is a mind-bending, endless sixth-gear sweeper stretching off into forever, reaching farther past the horizon than you can look. This is one of the longest stretches of perfect motorcycle riding in the United States. And we released two days worth of pent up frustration on it through our right wrists, our stress shot out through loud exhaust left behind where it belonged. Back at camp, we celebrated with the King's Feast of chili fritos and beer, agreeing that the crappy start of the trip could not continue. There was just no way. How much more bad luck could one trip contain? At sunrise, the next morning, we rode it all over again because Lolo Pass, enchanting at dusk, is ethereal in the brisk morning cold, a chilly, quiet awakening to the idea that once ridden over and back, you'll have ridden 240 miles of curved glory. Naturally, we lost track of time. Arriving back at camp to an irate campground owner who had expected us to check out hours ago. Oops. With pandemic-era 
um, campsite spots hard to find. Another camper was parked by our campsite when we returned, tapping their fingers impatiently on their steering wheel, waiting for us to leave. The campground owner tossed every very creative adjectives in our direction, us hooligan bikers that had been reported, quote, going in and out of camp all hours with our loud exhaust. Some campers had complained, obviously. A financial penalty was agreed upon. This trip, this stupid trip, just kept getting worse. Well, we struck camp and white girl waited by the idling Dodge, thank God it started, as I talked to the better half of the camp owner, prepared to pay our penance. But the owner never mentioned the the fine. That was odd. I sprinted to the Dodge before she could remember. Like Bo Luke running from Boss Hog, I ran to the Dodge, of course resisting the temptation to do a tucked leg slide across the hood, and I told Dave to drive. Just go, white girl, go, now. He did, pointing the Dodge's hood east, well, because we hadn't driven that direction in a while. Miles of discussion and many desperate phone calls landed us at friend Ron Pasma's cabin on the shore of Flathead Lake, Montana, putting Glacier National Park within the next day's reach. Whereas I had been to Glacier National Park many times, Dave had not been. Seemed like a great idea. What could possibly go wrong? Well, no matter how inflated your ego, Glacier National Park puts you in your proper insignificant place. You are nothing, a speck in comparison to the mammoth forces required to carve miles-long gouges out of solid rock like God's fingers long ago plowed furrows into the hills then left them alone to turn green. Logan Pass at Glacier Summit has only three types of weather, ready to snow, snowing, and just got done snowing. This meant my heated grips and heated jackets were always on high, draining my weary six-year-old battery. At Logan Pass, up there at the top, after a photo op with a mountain goat, I hit the starter button. And nothing. I looked at Dave and made a slash cut across my throat. His head drooped. This trip was cursed. I said expletives in my helmet that made the mountain goat blush. Going to the Sun Road, the 50 miles of tarmac through Glacier National Park is so narrow that side view mirrors on passing cars nearly high five each other. Few are the places to bump start a dead sport bike and rare are the pullouts for the unsuccessful. The bike in neutral, I pointed my VFR downhill thankful for a fairly steep grade. Speed gaining, I checked my rear view to make sure I wouldn't be rammed from behind by a tourist gawking at the mountain goats. Towing up to second, I dropped the clutch and slammed my butt on the seat. Nothing. I clutched again, added more speed, tried one more time. And the VFR fired to life. Then it died again. Then it fired, then it died. Then it fired, then it died. Six times I bump-started the VFR to life as I alternated between a running motorcycle and the world's heaviest strider bicycle. Finally, at Lake McDonald, I cried uncle and parked the bike for good. Battery gutted from the bowels of the VFR, I handed it to Dave, who rode into Columbia Falls in search of a replacement. Once again, our reactions to the emergency were as different as the hot and cold side of a McBLT. Dave was panicked. What if he couldn't find a battery? What if he had to ride all the way to Kalispell? What if he didn't return by dark? What if a new battery didn't fix the VFR and the problem was somewhere else? I, however, was not worried. 
I had food, water, layers of warm clothes, and had climbed down to a gravel beach at Lake McDonald's Edge. Even among herds of summer tourists, I had a little pristine slice of Glacier National Park Beach all to myself. Heck, I could sleep here if I had to. I even packed toilet paper. If Dave didn't return by morning, I could hitchhike out and come back for the bike later. After all, it wasn't going anywhere. One thing was for certain, this trip sure seemed doomed. It was unraveling faster than a cheap Christmas sweater. Two hours into my wait, dozing beachside at Lake McDonald, I reached a zen-like acceptance of the whole affair. I was done fighting fate. I was giving in. Tiny waves from the lake burbled their quiet song on red and purple rocks at my bootless feet. Far into the distance across the lake, sharp peaks punched skyward in a fierce manner that only happens in Glacier. I had nowhere to go, no way to get there, and frankly didn't want to leave. The epiphany hit me like a bug in the windshield. I was trying to assume control for things not under my influence, things like fragile machines, unpredictable weather, impulsive girls, and snuggly brown puppies. Experience was teaching me, and in fact on future trips will continue to teach me, that the worst of times are the best of times, that the horrible trips are the ones we talk about the most, that misery is just a different type of fun, and the painful squeeze of life is worth the sweet juice it produces. Dave arrived, but I refused to move. I was busy doing nothing. He climbed down to my beach, and I implored him to join me in my zen. He, of course, refused. He had just spent two hours riding and hunting down my battery, so sure, I suppose I could get up and put my boots on if I really have to. Battery in place, the VFR sprung to life, and we rode back to the cabin on Flathead Lake shore for another proper celebration involving chili fritos, adult beverages, backflips off the dock, a beach fire, questionable reggae music, and a hotly contested game of Pinocchi lasting into the wee hours of the morning. The next morning's chilly air brought relief to my pounding temples as we headed off to our goal of Lake Kukanusa and the enticing roads lining her east and western shore. Scouring the maps, we found a direct route to it, but if you've been reading this story at all, then you know what happens next. We never made the turn. Blindly, we kept riding and riding, looking for a turn we found on the maps but missed on the road until we arrived in Libby by accident. Libby is an idyllic western Montana. Small streets, friendly people, clear rivers, and a nearby ski resort in a perfect old west town preserved in time, then ruined by asbestos from, a near, from nearby vermiculite mines. Estimates claim that over the years, about 10% of the population died from the contamination, leaving scars on Libby's residence and its reputation, scars that may never heal. And there we were, living out one more answer to the question of what else could possibly go wrong. We just sat there on the bike staring at each other, our hungover minds sharing the same thought. How in the hell can you miss a 90-mile-long lake? Being in Libby accidentally was a metaphor for the whole trip. No matter what we planned, fate seemed to have other plans. Determined, we backtracked to find Lake Kukanusa there, where, for once, we actually got to ride. Kukanusa's eastern shoreline dictated every curve of the tarmac, graceful uphill climbs, green forest on one side, blue lake on the other, exhaust echoing off the pines and hardly a car in sight. This is 
was good. This was what we came to do. But I couldn't relax. In the back of my mind, there was this lingering thought, this tiny nagging doubt. Even mid-corner, fully leaned over and on the gas, there was this small, still voice reminding me that this this trip had been doomed, that fate, our cruel mistress, would not let our time go unspanked. So I began listening to the VFR, paying attention to every gear whine, every shift, every clunk, ping, every tiny tinkle coming from the bike, wondering when and where the catastrophe would come from. Like a boxer, fate had known precisely when and where to strike us. I knew the next punch was coming, but I didn't know where from. After looping up one side of the lake, then back down the other, we agreed to find the turn we had missed because neither of us wanted to go to Libby if we didn't have to. South we turned and found the road we'd missed. It was narrow, questionable asphalt, but not too bad. Then I saw a giant white circle spray painted in the middle of the road. What the? It was a crater. A hot tub-sized bomb hole directly in my path of travel. In my shock, target fixation set in. Staring at it only made me draw closer. Like a moth to a torchlight, I was being pulled in. Snapping out of my trance, I jerked and swerved around it. Dave behind me followed suit. I looked down in it as I rode by. It was wide and deep enough to swallow bike and rider whole. Putting a wheel in that crater would end the ride, the bike, and maybe a life, especially at our speed. So I slowed down. It was followed by another one, and another, and another. Each death hole had a white circle spray painted around the perimeter. (coughs) What was going on with this road? Had Montana forgotten how to do road repairs? Did they lose the recipe for asphalt? Did the locals get tired of plucking travelers from craters and spray paint them out of frustration? On it went 30 miles of motorcycle dodgeball around bike-eating bomb craters. Then the road changed to dirt. Oh, God, no. 100 yard dirt yards later, dirt road met the main highway. Seriously, just like that? Evidently, the tiny dirt section was fate's cruel joke to see how we reacted. But by then, Dave and I had left our sense of humor far behind somewhere east of Bozeman. The next day, we loaded the bikes in the Dodge's trailer and headed for home, giving thanks that at last, finally, we were headed home, leaving this mess behind us. Well, almost. Pulling into Dave's place that afternoon, we noticed noticed the black plastic top of his camper's roof vent had been ripped off by the wind. Then as Dave backed into his driveway, he jackknifed the trailer, punching a huge dent in the front of it. Dave was not happy, so I gave him a road dirt sticker to cover the dent. Problem solved. But I still had to ride home. It was late August, which in southern Washington means temperatures somewhere between 105 and broil. I mounted the VFR for my two-hour ride home. At least it started. All I wanted to do was get home. I've ridden in hot weather before, midday Redding, California, and the Nevada desert in July. Neither of them compares to what I did that day. The VFR's temperature gauge climbed to the hottest temperature I've ever seen, 117 degrees. Roadside orchards multiplied the misery by driving up the humidity, creating the perfect sauna. Breathing was cumbersome. I got lightheaded. Briefly, I considered stopping, but decided that would only prolong the agony. All I wanted to do was get back home. 
playing mental games, I broke the trip up into tiny goals. Just make it to the next exit, the next mile, the next turn, the next breath, the next suffocating inhalation of heat and humidity. Two hours later, I pulled into my driveway so dizzy and disoriented, I almost forgot to put the kickstand down, nearly dropping my bike. But I was home, safe. At last, this trip was over. I staggered inside the front door to greet my new chocolate lab puppy. She instantly peed on the carpet. Ted Edwards. Ted, your storytelling is always a joy for us to read and to recount for others. Thank you for this great story. And it has made for quite a memorable account right here that we all get to share and enjoy your misery. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed this as much as we have too. Go to our website, roaddirt.tv. Not only have we got uh, a motorcycle review we recently did, we had a Honda Rebel 1100 DCT automatic transmission that we did a review on after a month. But Ted's story is called Libby Accidentally. And he's got plenty of photos in mixed in as well. So hope you'll enjoy that. It's at roaddirt.tv. Again, thanks for tuning in with us. I hope you'll check us out on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Look for Road Dirt TV. We have a YouTube channel also that we populate with rides and bike reviews and great stories uh, out on the road and events. And it's uh, on YouTube. The YouTube channel is called Road Dirt TV. Everything's pretty much Road Dirt TV. The only difference is the website. The e-magazine is RoadDirt.tv. Everything else is RoadDirt.tv. Well, with the exception of a Spotify music playlist we have. That's called Road Dirt Classics. Hope you'll go out there and check that out if you're a Spotify um, uh, subscriber. And until next time, this is Rob with Road Dirt encouraging you to ride life. Welcome to Road Dirt, the podcast of Road Dirt Motorcycle Media and RoadDirt.tv, your down-home grassroots motorcycle brand, covering what we like to call Ride Life. This is Rob Brooks, your host. Thanks for tuning in. It's been a couple of weeks since I've been able to do a podcast. Um, across the holidays, we had a lot of changes and a lot of sickness ran through our family, so we, most of us really didn't get to go anywhere and do much of anything besides try to recuperate from some one of the sundry strands of COVID that's out right now. Odd way to end, really what was in many ways a good year in some ways, but a very painful year in some ways as well. So as we end 2021, here we are on the last day as of this recording of this past year. And Ted Edwards, one of our writers, sent a great story that I think would be good to end the year on and begin looking for the opportunities and possibilities in a new year as we hope for the best and reflect on this year that has gone by. It's called The Writing on the Wall, and I think you'll enjoy this as much as we did. Don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive, and go do that, because what the world needs is people who have come alive. A quote by Gil Bailey. Browsing through old photos is my time machine. Pictures resurrecting the sounds, smells, and feelings of tours long forgotten. Motorcycle tour after tour breeds complacency of the spectacular and reminiscing over photographs helps me appreciate the past and long for the future while my bikes hibernate through winter tethered to their electrical umbilicals. During a recent sleepless night as I kicked around photographs and memories, 
I came across one I hadn't seen in years. It was June 13th, 2016, a Monday, four days into a week-long Northwest motorcycle tour. We had stopped in Cambridge, Idaho, when my dad walked across the street to look at a curious blackboard up on a store's wall. It said across the top, Before I die, with room beneath for people to fill in their answers. Responses range from the serious to the comical, rule the world, become the world's best cook, experience an outpouring of the Holy Ghost, own a horse, or marry Ronda Rousey. I snapped a poorly framed grainy picture of my dad as he read the board, filed it away, then forgot about the photo. Now, years later, I stumbled across that old photo. Studying it reminded me once again that our years are short. Our life is but a blip in the expanse of time, and tomorrow is guaranteed to no one. Money, fame, and millions of Facebook or Instagram followers will not buy anyone an extra day. God decides that. It made me reflect on how I would end the sentence up on the board. If I had the chalk, what would I write? Years after taking the picture, I think I know the answer. Before I die... I want to appreciate exactly what I'm doing right now. I want to wake up to a house full of my brothers with motorbikes, laugh as we roll out of bed, share breakfast, then irresponsibly caffeinate ourselves as we lean over maps debating the day's plan. I want to throw a leg over a beautifully crafted machine while my brothers do the same, then watch as they slam their mirrored face shield shut and nod their heads the signal that they too are ready for the day. I want to be the last rider in our group as we leave, seeing every blur of color and hearing every obnoxious exhaust, watching my brothers tighten their formation then peel into a corner one by one like fighter pilots on a strafing run. I want to see them break late, lean hard, drag their fingers through the corner, then carry a two-inch wheelie at the exit. I want to stop for afternoon coffee and be the loudest laugher in the group as we tell stories of the ride so far. Do you think that cop saw us? Has anyone seen Matt's exhaust where it landed? Did Trevor get attacked by a bald eagle again? And how in the hell did a man with no legs in a wheelchair end up on a forest service road in the middle of nowhere, 20 miles from town? That one actually still bugs me. I want to chase the setting sun with my front wheel and right wrist, seeing all my brothers make it through the day, then share a single cigar and a single malt by the fire while we stare at our glorious machines, telling stories from the front porch. Then I want to do it all over again the next day and the next and the next until old age or speed claims me. But before that happens, before I die, I want to hug my dad like tomorrow doesn't exist and tell him how much I love him, that humble man who infected me with this motorcycle touring disease and encouraged my career of moto journalism that has taken me places I could have never imagined. And as we ride off together, I will pass his slow ass like the obnoxious son I am, break way later into the corner than he ever would, drag my fingers through said corner like he never did and carry a two-inch wheelie at the exit while he shakes his disapproving head at me, this hooligan he created. What a beautiful way to go out, Ted Edwards. As always, Ted is my favorite writer, and I love reading his stories here on the podcast because he paints such a fantastic picture 
of what we call ride life here at Road Dirt. And uh, you can check it out on the web. Check out the story with our, uh, the, with sto- the whole article with um, photos and everything that he's included in it. You can go to RoadDirt.tv and then click on the story, The Writing on the Wall, as well as other ones that we've posted in recent weeks and in recent days. We've got a lot planned for 2022. We hope you'll stay tuned and stay with us and uh, keep listening in. And we want to thank um, Law Tigers for their sponsorship of the podcast this past year. They've been very good to us, and we look forward to continuing that relationship with them in 2022. Check us out on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Simply look up Road Dirt TV, as well as um, a YouTube channel that we've been populating with um, motorcycle evaluations, gear evaluations, rides and roads, racing, things like that. It's called also Road Dirt TV. Everything's pretty easy to remember, Road Dirt TV. And as well as a Spotify music channel. That one's called Road Dirt Classics because it's like 25 hours worth of old and new rock and roll just for out on the open road while you're riding. And until next time, until next year, Happy New Year to you and yours. This is Rob with Road Dirt, Ride Life. Welcome to Road Dirt, the podcast of Road Dirt and Motorcycle Media and RoadDirt.tv, your down-home grassroots motorcycle brand covering what we like to call Ride Life. This is Rob Brooks, your host, joined by my colleague and longtime friend and riding buddy and general media guru, Phil Gauthier. How you doing, Phil? Living the dream, baby. You know that. Living the dream. One day at a time, man. <laughs> we decided we wanted to do something a little bit different as we kick off the new year here. And uh, just kind of sit two old friends and chat and talk about the year that was and the year that we hope for and we're looking looking forward to here in 2022. So, uh, man, in so many ways, 2021, at least on a personal level for me, was really difficult. I mean, man, it, the, I was... Telling you earlier, we I started the year with bookended it with with the C's. I started with a bout with cancer and ended it with COVID, and thankful to be healed of all that. But uh, and then my father passed away in the middle of it. It was a difficult year personally, but Road Dirt had a really really good year. Man, we um we got to do some pretty cool stuff this past year. So I thought we'd reflect a little bit on that and um, talk about the year that was kind of to begin with. When you look back over 2021, and we got to ride a lot of motorcycles, and it was really cool. What what were some of your faves as you reflect on the year? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, a year ago, December, I had uh, switched out the street glide for a road glide. Oh, that's right, yeah. uh, I moved to a new new platform on Harley. So uh, we actually started out the year putting some new bars on my new road glide. New to me, anyway. It's a 2017. But... uh, yeah, so we uh, we did a little bit of footage on that, and we, we learned a lot, and we actually had quite a bit of traffic from the video itself, too. So apparently a lot of people were putting bars on and looking for tips and tricks on how to thread the throttle cabling and all the wiring through those bars. Yeah. And we found a few tricks that worked after we did some online searching. So um, so that was fun, and the, the bike's been a blast, and I've enjoyed the new bars on that. But um yeah, we've ridden some amazing bikes this year. You know, we uh, we had a chance to, uh, to play with a couple Royal Enfields. Yep. Um, you know, a couple couple Triumphs. We got mm-hmm. a chance to ride a lot of bikes at the IMS show in October. Oh yeah, that was awesome. Which was amazing. And of course, Triumph hooked us up with the Rocket this year, which that was my go-to. I was really hoping we would yes. do that. And 
That bike was a blast. That was a bucket list bike of Phil's for year 2021 was the Triumph Rocket 3R. And they gave us the black version, which was one of their limited edition ones. We had that for about a month. And I was intimidated by it. I thought, man, this is way too much motorcycle for me until I threw a leg over it and took off on it. And I realized, man, this thing doesn't feel nearly the mass that it that it was. Yeah. And you and I ended up having a phenomenal time with that for very different reasons because we're very different sizes. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that was, I would say the Rocket 3R was really one of the highlights of the year for sure. Yeah, I would so, agree. Uh, and the bike, I mean, it, it does look like a massive bike just because of the sheer size of the engine and the way they've distributed the exhaust on both sides. But man, I got to tell you, that thing was super light and in, in uh, twisties and turns, it really felt like it wanted to hook up into a groove. For me, it did. I mean, yeah. it really, it felt comfortable from the get-go just jumping on that thing. I really didn't have a lot of concerns jumping into a tight turn and just motoring out of it and just... You turn the throttle and it would just hook up and go. It felt yeah. great. I mean, I really enjoyed that motorcycle. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. It was. I think one of my favorites was that MV Augusta Super Veloce that I was invited down to St. Petersburg, Florida to spend a week with one of those. MV had one down there and they, they uh, flew me down to go ride it for a week. And um, oh my gosh, I mean, when they debuted that thing, it reminded me so much of of the um, you know um, Giacomo Agostini bikes of the '60s and early '70s that yeah. he won so many world championships on, and just kind of that retro cafe racer look. And I mean, you talk about if there's ever been a motorcycle that was sexy, yeah, it was the it, it's the Super Veloce. And um, I got there's not a lot of twists and curves and turns in coastal Central Florida. <laughs> Um, but man, I got to ride that thing for about a week down there, just off, you know, on state roads and the interstates and stuff like that. And, um, back and forth between St. Petersburg and Tampa. And they have an incredible motorcycle in that. It was yeah. a, uh, I got a little illegal once in a while with it. We'll just leave it <laughs> at that. But it was a blast to ride. Phenomenal year. They were, they were super nice to you with that too. I mean, yeah. bringing you down and letting you do that. Um, Great time with talk that, about yeah. illegal. I, I after I read the article you wrote on that, I had to go take a cold shower. <laughs> I really did. I mean, that was just and yeah, I agree with you. The bike is super sexy. Yeah, it, it, I ended up writing it from the angle of talking about it in the feminine, as if the bike was a was a her was a and like like she was an Italian supermodel and you know beautiful but ballistic, you know in many ways. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. it was a great time. Got to do a couple of trips, too. I, I mean, not only getting to go to Florida to ride that around Central Florida was a lot of fun, but um, uh, got to go up to Milwaukee and ride one of the new um, 114 Harley-Davidson Heritage Classics for several days as well, and combine that with a weekend at, um, at Road America, covering the Moto America races. And um, Ryan Nolan, one of our riders up there, and and I got to meet up with him, spend some time with him. You just talk, that was just, that was one of these just multi-dimensional trips that that um, just went by so fast, but was so much fun for me. I had a great time up there with Ryan, with Paul James of Harley, with a phenomenal, just, I mean, their, their quintessential classic cruiser motorcycle in the heritage. And then, of course, you can't beat a, a weekend at, Moto America, right. just the roar of the super bikes and 
Yeah, and, that uh, would be a, that would be a capital ride life for you. I mean, you have you yes. have to stay at a killer Airbnb as well. And oh yeah, you got to stay at this country farmhouse, kind of out in the in the the countryside. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was only got, like a mile and a half around the corner from <laughs> Road America as well, man. Yeah. Yeah, and you got to ride that Emerging New Heritage. That was that was awesome. So yeah, that, that had to be a great trip. I was definitely jealous of you on that one for sure. Yeah, it was a great time. Uh, some of our riders got to ride some great motorcycles, also. You know, Ryan Nolan spent uh, about almost well about three weeks with the that new Sportster S. He got he got on one of those, and uh, Ted Edwards up in the Pacific Northwest got to spend I want to say about. Three days, I think, with uh, with the Pan America. Once they got one of those, him and a gal named Donnie Reddington of School of Moto up there, they they both got one. So you got to, they got to write about that from the perspective of a street rider riding one of those. And Donnie's a you know a veteran motocrosser, and uh, you know taking that bike in the dirt as well. She's a phenomenal photographer and videographer as well. So they yeah. got some really great shots for the article and some super good footage for the video that we were able to turn out too. So. That was a great event for, yeah. for everybody all the way around, and it looks like they had a blast too. They did. Sure did. It really was a, it really was a good year, in a lot of ways. We tend to reflect on the fact that it was another COVID year, and personally in my life, some struggle, you know, just all the struggles personally and with family. But, but for Road Dirt, what a great time it was! What a great year it was. Established some new relationships, like I say, with MV Augusta. Made some inroads with some other brands and. And uh, Royal Enfield has partnered with us, and we just love Royal Enfield. The Meteor turned out to be the littlest bike. This little 350 single that they gave us for about a month just felt so much more substantial than a 350. I mean, that thing will do 65, 70, you know, on the interstate all day long. It's winding out, but it's hauling, man. Yeah. And um, looking forward to what they're going to be introducing this year. They've got, I think they've got a couple of new models coming out in 2022, so... uh, well, they had a big trip to one of the uh, poles this year, too. Right? Yes. <laughs> they did that back in November and right. December. They actually rode Himalayans um, from an outpost on, on the, um, you know, the Antarctic continent into the, the tr- you know, the true South, uh, South Pole. Mm, and uh, a couple of Himalayans, that, that that's crazy, man. That is, that is some tough action right there. That bike, I think, came out at the right time because from what we saw in the market in general, because the the popularity of the Pan America that Harley had, I mean, it was the hottest selling bike in the U.S. From what we understand, they sold Hard out. selling ADV. Yeah, yeah they sold out the, the bike as far as their production. Um, we got to ride, uh, of course, last year, and again this year at the show, we got to ride the Tiger Triumph uh, uh, dual purpose bike, which is just a phenomenal motorcycle. Yeah, we rode the Scrambler, which Scrambler is almost a dual sport sport as well. Um, you know, I got a couple good buddies that are just hounding the heck out of me to pick up a dual sport. <laughs> They're ranting and raving about getting out. One of them's on a V-Strom, the other one's on a KLR. Mm-hmm. And they just, they just, they haul them up and they just go blasting through the woods for a couple days and do some, some tent camping. So forestry roads, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So it looks like the ADV market really is kind of taken off from what we're seeing out yeah. there. And, um, you know, we were able to, uh, to test ride a couple of those bikes, but you know, the real sleeper, I think that, that. We haven't even talked about it yet. Is you got a chance to spend a few weeks on that Triumph Trident? That was a great little bike. That little Triumph Trident six sixty, little six sixty yeah. triple. Yeah. That now they've got they they put that one in a um, kind of an ADV you know sport touring frame now that yeah. we hope to get our hands on one of those. 
that was a sleeper of a bike. I mean, everybody thinks that's just a little small beat, beat beginner bike, yeah. you know. Right. But we had that for about a month and rode the crap. It was a bit of a monkey. You were a bit of a monkey on a mini bike with it. It's yeah. a little large. You're a little bit large for it. But yeah. I was pleasantly surprised with how simple yet how quick and nimble and fun that motorcycle was. You fit well on that bike. Yeah. You certainly did. As you did on the Honda Rebel that we just we just wrapped up in December. That That was a fun bike. The Rebel DCT, that, that dual-clutch transmission, um, I was a bit skeptical about an automatic motorcycle until Honda gave us one of those for about a month. And you and I both were just pleasantly surprised by how smooth that transmission is, mm-hmm. how easy to maneuver and navigate it and ride that thing, um, and how lightweight and low it was. And how switchable it was. I think the word we ended up landing on for that was customizability. Mm-hmm. How you can really make that your own. You can paddle shift it manually yeah. or just set it in three di- different modes for um, automatic and it shifts at different points and traction control. Everything's very adjustable and per- and customizable on it. And we, I, I think the, the way we approached the article was... Could this be a possible glimpse into the future of motorcycling? Yeah. Because so many of the upcoming generations, through no fault of their own, never were never taught how to ride, how, how to use a clutch. Exactly. You know, everything's yeah. automatic nowadays. Yeah. And um, and that that that's a bike that, um, like it or not, we kind of like it. Could be one glimpse into motorcycling's future for future generations. Sure, I agree. And um, you know, and if and I hate to keep coming back to the adventure motorcycle. Uh, you know, topic, but if they do put that transmission into an Africa Twin, it is in one. It is it, that transmission's already in an Africa Twin. Yeah, they. Have, oh, I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah, I know. We need to get us one this coming year. Oh, That's man. one of the things as we as we transition now and talk about 2022. Yeah, they've got that transmission. They put it a few years ago in 2018 and 2019 in a Goldwing. Uh-huh. And when they introduced the Rebel this year, they also introduced the uh, Africa Twin 1100. In a DCT version too. For uh, it's either late twenty one or it may be a new one that they're doing for twenty twenty two. But yeah, we might need to get you on one of those. That man. would be that would be interesting. Yeah, You're coming from a dirt bike background and always having a clutch to be able to you know maneuver around things, it would be interesting to see how an automatic transmission bike um, treats you. You know, under those conditions, gravel, dirt, you know, pavement, mm-hmm. everything else. That'd be interesting. Yeah, Cycle World of Athens, our friends out there, they're partners with us too. They actually have one, or they had one right before Christmas. Oh, wow. And um, I know Barry out there, he's got an Africa Twin, a personal bike that he rides. I don't know if it's got the auto or not. I don't think he's got one of those, but they've got one of, they've got one of the new DCT Africa Twins on their showroom. Wow. We may have to hit him up, you know, <laughs> yeah. buy him lunch and, and see if he'll let us take it out for a spin right. just to try that one out. That'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to 2022 in a lot of ways. We ended the year in 2021. Um, seemed like about halfway through the year, Road Dirt just hit another gear. We just hit six gear. We hit overdrive. And um, our viewership, our readership, our fans and followers just literally went through the roof to another level. Um, and it was really amazing. And it's continuing into the new year. We've we've got the things that exciting that excite me about this new year is that we have a we have we we ended twenty twenty one with this brand new relationship with Honda USA, which we're excited about. 
And we begin 2022 with a friendship and a relationship now with Yamaha USA. And uh, we've got contacts with Kawasaki and Suzuki, but Yamaha reached out to me, um, guess a week or so ago and said, Hey, let's this guy over there said, Hey, let's get together and let's talk 2022 together. And of course we ended the year with a relationship with Dunlop motorcycle tires. And we're, we're going to have some story opportunities with them in the new year. And, um, yeah, visiting their, um, you know, their, their, uh, production facility up in, in Buffalo, their testing facility outside of Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah. It's going to get exciting. Lest we forget, J.C. Maldonado hooked us up with a couple Bell helmets as well. Oh, my gosh, yeah, Bell helmets. We we knew J.C. from over at Royal Enfield, and then he uh, switched up and took a position with Bell helmets, and they connected us with a couple of helmets. and, and, um, And that is such a cool thing because that is the quintessential American motorcycle helmet, the original American motorcycle helmet in Bell, California in the 1950s, that company got started. And um, so that's exciting that that JC and and Bell, we've got a friendship with them now. So what are some of the things you're looking forward to in the new year here? Obviously the chance to ride some more bikes. Um, I am really kind of chomping at the bit to see uh, this big announcement coming up on January 26th from, from Harley. Obviously. Yeah, we'll be tuning into Harley Davidson so, for a uh, new reveal. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what they're coming out with. Uh, I think that last year with the, the Pan America hitting the market, they really kind of got into their new stride. You yeah. Know? Uh, and you're seeing a lot of the old guard sit up and take notice and take a look at the bike. You know, we got a chance to ride that at the IMS show. And, uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see where they take that product line. You know, mm-hmm. um, wonder if they're going to come with a with a little bit cheaper model at a lower uh, lower CC range. Well, it'd be interesting to see. You know, of course yeah. they're they're building everything on power on that same new power plant. You know, which makes sense. That but, 12, um, 12, yeah, it's a what's it what's a twelve fifty CC revolution right? engine. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. But uh, you know, and of course. Uh, Triumph just had an, an event here in Atlanta a couple weeks ago and, and yeah. debuted the new Tiger 1200, I think, 1100, 1200. Yeah. Um, so it's going to have that super killer engine in it too. So, um, But this year, uh, if things work out, I'm going to be in the market to shop for uh, uh, an adventure bike, I'm hoping, because um, I'm hearing too many good things about it from everybody I talk to. So I got to do something. And, yeah. Um, the Harley looks great. We rode the Harley at IMS. It was nice. The Pan America is super good. Felt good. The, tr- the the tiger for me. I don't know. It just there's just a fit and finish about that bike. It feels really good too. But uh, I'm looking forward to some shows. You know, we got the show coming up here in Atlanta in January. That's inside. I'm hoping yep. IMS returns to Atlanta again because that I think revolutionized motorcycle shows. You were able to see you know eight, ten different manufacturers all with bikes lined up ready to test ride. And, and very few of them were guided rides. You could just hop on and go, follow a course. Yeah, they had these predetermined yeah. courses. Yeah, it was great. You know, it and was. then they did the side-by-side thing in the dirt. So um, You could ride motorcycles all day, all weekend. It was incredible. Exactly. One after another after another. Exactly. And now that we have a friend on staff in Sturgis at the Buffalo Chip in Robert Pandia. My friend Robert, you yeah. Know, we may have to uh, try and make a trip up to Sturgis. We sometime. might have to go to Sturgis. <laughs> oh, that was another thing that was really exciting, too. This past year, we established our friendship and a connection with Brian Carroll, the producer and director of uh, Why We Ride, the movie, a few years ago. And he's talking about maybe getting us to come up and visit with them this year at Sturgis to their yeah. big rap party at the end of the, at the end of it. That would be a blast. That would be so cool. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of great things in 2021 and we're excited about 
2022. Looking forward to the Moto America race season kicking up again because we're big time road racing fans. Yeah. And uh, getting to do some things, hopefully, with American Flat Track. And uh, Dunlop is looking to probably give us a, an opportunity to attend some of the Supercross events since they're one of the sponsors of Supercross. So looking forward to a good year in 2022. Whatever happens in the world around us, man, we're going to be riding motorcycles. It's going to be a ride life year absolutely. for us here at Road Dirt. So, absolutely. Um, absolutely, man. Well, this is uh, Rob and Phil with Road Dirt. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, check us out on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Simply uh, enter and search for Road Dirt TV. We've got a YouTube channel, also called Road Dirt TV. Fairly simple. And then our main e-magazine website is RoadDirt.TV. And uh, go check out our, our latest articles and stories and things like that out there. We're always posting new content to that. And um, we got a Spotify playlist with about 25 hours worth of music you can listen to while you're out on the road. That one's called Road Dirt Classics because there's a lot of old classic rock in there, you know, 60s, yep. 70s, 80s, and from some 90s. Stuff. Days. Oh, yeah, from the old <laughs> D- disc jockey days. That's another story for another time. Right. But um, hey, this is Robin Phil with Road Dirt encouraging you in 2022 to ride life. Right on.